Or like there's magic meat. You don't have to kill anything. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Iranicast. Group of folks leaning into our progressive Christian imagination. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. And I'm Jeff. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we provoke conversation for shifting perspectives on theology and culture. Thank you for joining us. This week, we are continuing our conversation on beyond the binary of deconstruction and reconstruction. And last time we heard from Debbie Glander and a little bit about our own stories of waking up and what that was like for us, the alarms that went off that indicated to us that something's just not right and we needed to make a change. And this week, we're going to kind of explore that a little more deeply. We're going to talk about what happens right after. When you wake up and sort of that shame rushes in, like all kinds of shame, the shame around the fact that you were there in the first place and like, why did it take so long to figure this stuff out? How did you let people do these things to you? So it's like the other side of, of the shame that we experience, the shame that we might have experienced as a result of these high control environments we experience as a result of staying in these high control environments or allowing people to, to, to harm us or the environment to harm us in the ways that it did. Sometimes it causes us to be sort of judgy and to kind of live in the, the realm of, I'll just burn it all down, but burn down anybody else who might also have anything to do with it. So we're going we're gonna to explore that a little bit today. We'll do it as gently as we can and also as authentically as we can. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So whoever wants to help us get started, what, what do you remember about that experience in your own journey? Well, I, you know, I think that that saying hurt people hurt people is really relevant for this is, you know, it, thinking back to that time when I was very, very, when I was acting out, I can say that about myself now, it, it was awful. I was a terrible person. I was terrible to my friends, family. It was just miserable because it was just all overwhelming. I felt stupid, betrayed, and really sunk into anger and bitterness. So yeah, I was I was dangerous. I think when we have these sorts of awakenings, we can be as zealous on the opposite end of the spectrum as we were when we were fundamentalists or evangelicals, right? That we want to tell everyone what pain this caused us, how hurt we are. And like Rajiv was saying, we want to sort of make other people feel the way that we're feeling. That also is not a healthy tool. I heard someone once say, you know, speak from your scars, not your wounds. And when you are in that festering place, it's almost like you want everyone to bear witness to your wounds. In some ways, it's really not helpful, actually, because it, you're turning people off. You're, you, in fact, it's almost like you're, what you are projecting is exactly what's going to happen, right? If you are continuing to be so deeply angry, people will stop listening to you. And then you go into the spiral of nobody's listening. Nobody cares. Uh, to what has happened to me. Why can't you see? Why can't you experience it? I know I was there for sure. Yeah. I, I, when we were planning out these conversations, Bonnie, and we talked about this particular conversation, one of the terms you threw out was becoming less dangerous. And uh, I, I'm still sitting with that. I think it's so important because, you know, going back to what I, I said on our last episode, that idea of like, being this empty vessel and just filling it with something new that no, that doesn't change our posture and the way that we approach stuff. And I think that, you know, people in the deconstruction space, I don't know what we call it, deconstruction, post-evangelical, ex-evangelical, whatever we want to call this space. There's a lot of theobrogens, right? Is that, the, that's the term that, that the kids are using with this. And, uh, I was there hundred percent. And I think that that has a lot to do with my place as a straight white male. And, this lack of humility and uh, 
this status that I've had in culture and in my former religious context that put me in a place of, of teacher and presenting this information as if it was new information and not recognizing that it's only new information to me and that this information has existed. It has just simply been revealed to me and perhaps I should shut the hell up and take some humility because there's, you know, we talked about the, the, the strategies and the manipulation and kind of those waking up moments. We take those with us. Like I had to reevaluate not just my ideas, but my preaching style and what things that I was doing that, that, brought that. And I, I would say that there was a lot of moments where I would, I was a dangerous person in my deconstruction because I had these new ideas and I was, I was a child of God. I was a bearer of the truth and I needed to come and tell everyone this new way and, and change and fix everything. And and that's not to say that reformation in the organizations that we're in isn't a part of that, but it's a big part in this being less dangerous is just learning to, to listen and not just know these new ideas, but, you know, sit at the feet of people who have lived these ideas. I think that that's so important, especially for those of us here when it comes to, you know, race and gender identity. And, and I'm speaking to those of you who are straight white males and you're listening to this, like the, the, we, we don't have the answers and we aren't the type of people that can impose in our deconstruction because I think that we, we present our ideas in a way that the world is this level playing field. And we totally do not acknowledge that it is not a level playing field. And until it is, we can't impose these, you know, whatever we want to call it, the, 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 the Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson atmosphere where, well, it's logical. So therefore, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of people, I, I, I equate the white Theobrogen to Thanos, right? Thanos logically was correct. You snap your fingers, the world's overpopulated, you get rid of half the people and it's solved. Logically, that makes sense. But that's being a big, you know, purple in the galaxy. You could go the opposite direction, perhaps just as logical is, well, hey, maybe I'll just double the resources and I'll go the other direction and then no one has to die. So I think that when we don't have humility and compassion in our deconstruction, then we can easily justify horrible things. And we see it happen all the time to varying degrees. Yeah, I, I really appreciate what you just said, Jeff, because I think that's so true. And each of us has learned within these high control environments what to do with these overwhelming feelings. And we, when you begin to leave, you're going to have some really big feelings. Like I remember having some huge feelings and a lot of it was probably repressed because, you know, my gender identity didn't really allow for me to have some of these big feelings like anger. And so when it came bubbled up, um, it was a force that I, you know, I wanted to direct it at anybody around me just as, as a way to, I mean, I just didn't even know what to do with it. So I think, I think there's that there's not knowing what to do with the overwhelming feelings, but then there's also these, these modes that we've learned in this controlling world, this controlled world that then we carry forward in our, initial steps of deconstructing that are that are dangerous you know it's it's a hard it's hard to think of oneself in that way and yet um hurt people hurt people and i don't think i could have skipped it like i'm not sure that i could have skipped this that that period of time where i felt a lot of bitterness because I needed to express that repressed rage and it had been repressed for so long. I didn't even know that it was in there until it started to, until I started to experience the freedom to express it. So it, the, the question is not always about how do you circumvent it, but how do you do it? How do you ex express your emotions without harming others in the process? Well, I think, I, I think you're absolutely right, Bonnie. And one of the things that is really helpful is some simple introductory language. Like, cause if you just start venting to people that you trust, it can sound and feel like you're directing it all at them. 
when a simple introductory invitation was, I love you and trust you, and I could really use you. I, I really need you to bear witness to my pain and anger. Can you do that for the next 10 minutes? And it does something the way you frame it and that way that person receives it. You know, people can bear witness to it and hold it with you rather than feel like they're being attacked by it. But yeah, we have to have spaces to hit that release valve. It's important to have a community of people who can hold your pain, who can bear witness to your experience. The other thing that I think also is important to note is how dangerous we can be to ourselves. So it's not just that we are dangerous to others with our sort of lashing out and our aggression, but it's how we might return to ourselves, our self-talk, our behaviors. You know, if you have lived in a high control environment for so long, you are going to want to lash out and live a very different life than you had lived before. And it might put you in situations that you never would have imagined yourself in. Um, and if you don't have guides to walk alongside of you, as you navigate some of these new ways of being in the world, it, you can, it can become dangerous. It really can. And I think so that, again, just speaks to the importance of community. You know, I think of just growing up uh, as a young gay man and the older gay siblings that I had that were able to, you know, teach me how to be safe in queer spaces and gay bars. Uh, you never, you never leave your drink alone. You always make sure you let people know where you're going at the end of the evening. Uh, you don't just go home with someone without telling somebody the name and address of where you're going. But when you have been locked up and not had these freedoms for so long, you just think you can go out and the movies are fine. You know, everything you've learned in a movie is fine. And it's not true. And so that's just one example, and I'm sure you all can share of other examples. But I know for me, the importance of having guides and community to walk me through what it means to be a free person, what it means to be a liberated gay person, having beloved community around me to process my pain and to still hold me accountable. I mean, I think that is one of the most important things that, that for so many of us, we don't want accountability because we think accountability means shame and rejection. That's not what it means. It's love and action. It's reminding you of your values and what is important to you. So I'll leave it there. And I'd love to hear from some of you about that. Yeah, that's so great, Casey, that thank you, because you're absolutely right. Because we're, we're, what's necessary is to learn completely new forms of accountability. Like that, the definition of that word has to change. And also a different definition for community. You know, because if you're coming, especially if you're, if this is, if you're a young person and you are waking up, then you've likely led a rather deceptive life in the process of waking up. And there are, there maybe are people around you that you don't trust enough to actually tell, here's what I'm experiencing, experimenting with. Here are the doubts I'm having. Here are the questions that I'm following. So, it's hard to believe that there are people out there who actually will hold that with you because you don't know anyone who can, who will hold that with you. Yeah. The whole process of, of becoming less dangerous or recognizing our danger to ourselves or others is to change the definition of those words, community and accountability. And that in and of itself is, is really, you know, it's really challenging because I, for me, all I could feel is shame and anger. That's all I could feel. Like I, 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 yeah, the, the shell of myself, that's what it filled with. And I, I don't know, that may be a gendered response or it may be more universal. I don't know, but that those feelings were so intense uh, that I and and that in addition to that, which I know is a gendered response, is not feeling worthy of being seen in my shame and anger. There's a good book called The Velvet Rage: uh, Overcoming the Pain of Growing Up Gay in a Straight Man's World by a guy named Alan Downs. He's a PhD, and he talks a lot about um, just coming out. You know, like the moment of noticing 
there's a difference between you and your family, right? So for me, it was playing t-ball or even like playing flag football. I've, maybe you've heard me tell the story of like, the only reason I played flag football was because I could get a piano. And we lost the championship game. And my dad is like yelling at the refs. And I walk up to him and I say, can we leave and go get that piano you promised me now? And to see that look in his eye of like, we live in two different worlds. And the internalized shame that leads to rage for for eight years and years and years after that. And I think it's true. Like, in the same way, growing up evangelical or ex- or fundamentalist, like, in these high-controlled environments, we internalize shame, and it leads to either more shame or rage or both. And learning how to channel some of that or acknowledge what it is, naming it. I mean, um, again, this goes back to some of our conversation last time, Bonnie, around, like, having a self. If you do not have a self, you will always feel shame. And I think that finding a self then evokes rage because you're you're like, don't tread on me. Don't push my boundaries. I've worked too hard to have these. And so all of this manifests in some way, right? That we are either going to continue to let people roll over us. We're going to continue to give more of ourselves with that servant's heart, that was ingrained in us at such a young age. Um, Or we're going to push back and we're going to just sort of bleed all over the people around us. I mean, a lot of this, if if it's stunted development, basically, that notion of differentiation, which is supposed to happen, sometimes doesn't happen because it's not really allowed to happen. And there's just tons of layers but doesn't that in and of itself inspire like rage? I know I remember feeling so ill-equipped to meet the world because of knowledge that was denied me about science, about philosophy, about just the thought trajectories across the world in general. So that was denied. And then also my developmental process was denied. So I was like, yeah, stunted emotionally psychologically, cognitively. And I just, I had, I had a list of people to blame for that. And it just, you know, just really, really made me angry. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge, you know, spoilers, you know, our next episode is going to be really centered around community and and what that looks like. But just hearing our stories and, and for those of you that are listening, just acknowledging the paradox of, how isolating this can be and how how we're acknowledging these things that are important to express, but also recognizing that you may not have a space to express that in. Our hope is that, you know, our show is at least a little bit of a solidarity, like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. And of course, you can always reach out to the show uh, via our email and social media links and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're not going to leave it here. So, you know, be ready. Our next, we're going to talk about community and what that can look like. Um, but uh, you're not alone, even if it feels that way. But we also acknowledge that it, it, it feels like a bit of a cage because some of the things that we are talking about, you can't do because some of you may be still in the midst of these environments. And uh, we certainly know how difficult that can be. I, I think... I I just want to say to our listeners, beloved friends, be kind to yourselves, you know? I mean, and know that there are going to be moments that you're going to hurt people because hurt people hurt people, honey. It's just the way it is. When you do hurt those people, you can do what you need to do to ask for forgiveness or move the hell on. If it's someone that you feel like, "Mm, I don't, whatever, let it go. Um, But in general, be kind to yourself and find those places that trigger you listening to K-Love or whatever, some Christian radio station is oh. not going to be good oh, yeah. for your progress. I can tell I'm you that. Having, I'm having feelings. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, um, if there's, uh, you know, an uh, Aunt Betty in your life who, you know, every time she looks at you wants to let you know she's praying for your soul, um, fi- find people that can sort of be the buffer between you and Aunt Betty or whatever. But just know your triggers and, and understand that this is a process. You know, we've been talking about this. We'll continue to say it over and over again. We should probably have like a bingo card for this six-week conversation. But just know that it's a process. 
and be kind to yourself in the process. Well, and you know, look, our, our website is arenacast.com. If you need a place to vent and you don't have places or people you can trust or who may not be in a place where they can hear your rage, put it in writing, send it to us. We don't claim to have answers, but what I can guarantee you is we'll read it and and we'll hold it with you. We may not give you a lengthy response, but we will hold it with you. We will hear you. Um, so in that way, not only are you not alone in a sort of a abstract sense, you cannot be alone in a real sense. So arenacast.com, use that contact form. We will read what you write. Yes. And and also, I don't think that we can. I don't think it's possible to skip this, these this, pro, this part of the process and our feelings. You know, I think especially like Casey was saying, wanting to have the servant's heart. And and I know for me, I always thought that I could be the one. I would be the only one in the universe who could somehow transcend the bitterness and just sort of hop and skip from where I was into this new way of being. As hard as I wanted to be the one, as hard as I tried to be the one, I couldn't. And I, and I don't think that probably anybody can. Like, that's just not how it works. It's part of the deconstruction. And, and uh, I think Jeff mentioned last episode have you really deconstructed? Well, I think part of the measure of deconstruction is, have you felt really angry? You know, have you wanted to just, yeah, set everything on fire? Um, and, and that's okay. If you, if you feel like that, that's totally okay because it makes sense. It's logical. Yeah. And, and verbalize it. Be angry. Like we all missed out on stuff. It's okay to be angry about that. You know, like when I was 21 and most of the people I know, they were, you know, going to a bar, having fun, going to parties and stuff like that. You know, I was in charge of a, of a huge youth group at a borderline mega church. You know, I was just trying to like get through the next service and all that kind of stuff because it felt like that's what I had to do. And you know, I don't want to be too cliche in that we all we always missed out on the fun party stuff and, and all that kind of stuff, because that's not the only thing we missed out on. But if you missed out on it, acknowledge that. Be upset about it. Like, feel that. Because, you know, part of this whole process and this this binary that we're trying to, to get rid of is that these things are going to come and go. Eventually, you reincorporate these things into your stories in new ways and you have a new lens on your past. But sometimes for a little bit, you just got to feel it and be angry with it and break up with it for a little bit and <laughs> figure out how that's going to incorporate into your life because we all have regret. Do you remember um, what we're just, just for the sake of revisiting ourselves and maybe uh, helping others to revisit their own experience. Do you remember some of those first triggers or even what are some lingering ones? That's another part of the question. The language. Like, the language for me. Yeah. yeah. Say more about that. Well, if God brought you to it, God will see you through it. <laughs> right? Or... Um, oh, yeah. The platitudes. <laughs> yeah, all of those, right? I mean, all of that stuff that, that simplifies um, the complexity of our living. I can't with any of that stuff. It simplifies the suffering of others, of my suffering. It diminishes the real pain of people's lived experience, and it tells us that we should find meaning in our pain. Only we can do that. Nobody should get to do that for us. I can feel myself right now being triggered by that, you know? That sense of, well, it's all, you know, if God wills it, everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that. I, I tell people when they say that in church, I have people in my church who will say, well, you know, pastor, everything happens for a reason. And I say, well, things happen and we get to make meaning out of them. That's what I say. We get to decide what the meaning is. Not that they happen, that we are going to justify people's bad behavior towards us, or we are going to explain away a child with cancer. I, I refuse to go to a place of saying that that everything happens for a reason. I think 
it happens. Life happens. It's hard. And out of those things happening, we have the ability to either uh, bring them into our consciousness and form meaning around them, or we can say, that just really sucked. And leave it there. I'm with you on there, Casey. Anytime, anytime someone, you know, someone's talking about all the good things in their life, and they say that they're grateful, I love that. But if they use the word blessed, it's automatically, I just have this very specific picture of who this person is. And I'm like, I'm done with you. Because <laughs> I know what that means. I know what you're saying. I know what you're insinuating by saying that you're you're blessed. And it's just like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, the, the language, it, it just, it kills me. Is that the hashtag for the episode? Hashtag <laughs> uh. you know i i'm surprised because i've i've in recent weeks i've had the chance to engage folks from that i've maintained friendships with and they've invited me into some uh small groups that they facilitate to talk about you know our work as progressive christian ministers and was shocked that I wasn't as triggered as I thought I would be. So I'm grateful that something happened along the way where I can have conversations with, with folks without getting sucked back into it. But I, I think what, what the lingering trigger is, isn't what somebody believes or what their spiritual practice is. The thing that still flips the switch is when they start taking a supremacist standpoint, whether it's Christian supremacist, supremacism, you know, Baptist supremacism, even progressive supremacism. It's sort of like, you know, yes, we're, you know, do your thing and be in relationship with other people doing their thing. But early on, it was all the stuff you're talking about and the platitudes. Yeah. You know, platitudes like, Jesus, I just turn off. I'm like, I'm not going to really give this person a lot of, energy and i mean that like generally speaking if i'm having a one-on-one conversation i'll i will really try to connect yeah the platitudes you know god willing and my parents use that one all the time they're like god willing we'll come see us like you just gotta buy the tickets <laughs> you know yeah. i'm not sure what god has to do with that yeah, I mean, I'm. I think I'm coming to a place where I can see some of those terms are multi-layered and almost, in some ways, reclaim some of it, but in a very new and different way. But for me, it's the aesthetic. It's the, it's the look. It's the hair, the makeup, the clothes, the um. It, it's it's just the, it's I don't know how else to say it except the aesthetic of kind of that evangelical mega church aesthetic that other churches that are more on the fringe of evangel evangelicalism like Seventh Day Adventists try to emulate to try to be like the cool kids and it's it just it triggers me every single time I'm just like I can't go in the room is is that why you don't spend a lot of time up here in Placer <laughs> County with me Pastor Bonnie. <laughs> So I, so love, many, I love there's... Placer County and I can figure out a way to disconnect, dissociate enough to be able yeah. to be in those spaces, but I still feel myself needing to do that totally in order yeah. to be present, which is not really present fully, you know? So I don't know. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's related to the supremacy that you're talking about, Rajiv, but I need to explore that more. And I And I think that's part of the that's part of the invitation of a trigger point. And sometimes triggers are so overwhelming because we're taught not to have them. That if God lives in you, you don't have them. But as you begin to realize that it's very human and divine to have triggers, <laughs> then then it's information. Those are messages for us to know what to explore more deeply. Well, I mean, the, the aesthetic, I, I think that's a really uh, insightful comment is there's orthodoxy around that too. You know, looking a certain way, sounding a certain way shows that you're actually on the right path. Well, well, I would call it, and this is probably without a lot of careful thought. This is just my gut reaction. I would call it an aesthetic of inauthenticity. And that just 
anything that I perceive as inauthentic, I have no more time for. And it looks the whole aesthetic to me just reeks of inauthenticity. That's something really specific to my own journey that's happened in the last like couple of months, partially informed by the pandemic, but you know, it's around race and trying to acclimate and assimilate as, as you know, I can't look like I'm an American quote unquote, but you know, I can dress like it. I can sound like it. I can do my hair like it. And one of the things, you know, my mom is Tamil. So, you know, there's this kind of joke we have in Tamil circles, like, are we going to let our Tamil froze grow? Cause we've got really thick kind of curly wavy hair. And I've just decided, you know, I'm not going to do a whole lot to fight that anymore. You know, I like showering. I like being clean, but I'm not going to try to shellac my hair into conformity to, to look like a, a new England person. <laughs> and it's, it's been fun because it's doing its thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a small thing in a way, but it's kind of a big deal because there's a lot of layers to it. And, you know, maybe the pandemic has freed us up from a lot of this bullshit. Right. Well, and I think, Rajiv, that, that's an important note is like, is not dismissing it. Anything is a small thing because the big things are overwhelming and cause us to run away from those triggers instead of like finding our boundaries with how to approach them. And sometimes all we can do is start with the little ones, like the aesthetics Amen. and Amen. the the language. Um, and, and that's an important first step in order for us to protect ourselves from the danger of others and in, us, in order for us to kind of begin that journey to do <laughs> the least damage possible in our, or a way to, you know, through the rubble of everything that, that has happened in our lives. Because, you know, Bonnie, talk about aesthetics. I feel the same way, but the, the evangelical aesthetic comforting to me, it's the mainline aesthetic that I hate, <laughs> that I feel is so inauthentic, like the, you know, the, the gaudy church high church stuff um and but that's about my clergy drag (laughs) don't you be talking about my clergy drag but but it's taken a long time for me to like reverse that and not like and and find that there were comfort points in in my space it's such a you know how we're all in that that unique journey and figuring things out so i think triggers are, are big markers for us in order to to you know determine what's dangerous to us and what causes us to be dangerous to others? Triggers are your assumptions. And so it gives you an opportunity to like discern, is this assumption based on like actual real evidence that I need to then respond to? Or is this assumption based on an older wound that I need to tend to? Like, you know, I think it's triggers are, are where we're just like projecting here are all these issues that I have with this particular thing without always carefully considering it. And it's super useful. It can be like the best thing that ever happens. And also it doesn't feel fun in the moment, but it's super useful to, um, I started to trigger journal early on and I still go back to that and I can see growth in areas. I can see even like regression and areas. And I'm wondering what that's about. So it's kind of, I think it's, it's helpful to just keep track of those triggers. Like don't lose them. Don't lose track of them because they're, they're a big part of who you are. I would encourage folks as they are, you know, on the journey towards understanding their triggers to, you know, not just be kind to themselves, but to find a way to mark, to write something, right? Uh, something I had to do was I put on a whiteboard a list of things that I knew for sure. One of them is you are safe. You are loved. Like in every day as I walked out of my house, uh, I had this whiteboard of things that I needed to be certain of in myself. I would just encourage people to, whether it be through journaling or a whiteboard by your door, make a list of things that keep you grounded in, in the truth of who you are. You are safe. You are loved, dot, 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 whatever those other things are for you. Yeah, I love that. That This has been a really amazing conversation. I know for me, it's been an opportunity to loop back and pick up some things that I hadn't really thought of in a while and also to really listen. So we hope that you were able to also 
get something out of the conversation. And we would love to hear from you. To add your voice to this particular conversation, comment on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 184. Also on the show notes, you will find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to like, follow, and contact the show, including our mailing list. We hope that you will sign up to join our email list because we have an opportunity for you to listen to the full conversation that I had with Debbie Glander a few weeks ago. Um, and also, we'll be in touch with you about various programs that are upcoming. So we'd love to be able to stay in touch with you. Please sign up to join the email list on irenacast.com and check out the show notes, irenacast.com slash 184. And on the other side of the music, we are going to play a game called Underrated, Overrated. Um, and this should be a lot of fun. Welcome back. We're excited that you are still here, that you've stuck around to hear us play a game that we've played before. It was a lot of fun in the past. We're expecting it to be fun again today called Underrated Overrated. Each of us will come up with something, some random idea or thing, and the rest of us will decide or we'll, we'll, we'll tell whether or not we think it's underrated or overrated. So who would like to go first? I'll go first. You know, we are all from Northern California. I think in general, Californians think that they don't just live on the West Coast, but they live on the best coast. And we take a lot of pride in our supreme burger here in Northern California. Well, California in general, which is in and out And so I'm curious to know, whether you all think that In-N-Out is underrated or overrated. This is a good one, Casey. This is very good. Because I'm sure there are... This, this might be... We might lose listeners for this, but... It's it's overrated. I love In-N-Out Burger. Absolutely love them. But the craze over them that I see from time to time is just like, no, it's, it's a burger. Rajiv, I'm with you overrated and I, I know that this is a debate so like i i've forgive me for this the little rant but i've tiered my 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 uh eating out yes to, you've told me about this please share with the world jeff i, I have a, a tier system so you have fast food which i consider like the big chains so you have you know mcdonald's carl's jr jack the box whatever and then you have like upper tier fast food so this is where people would put like in and out uh, you know, what are the other regional ones? Uh, five guys is Whataburger one of what, them? What, what classifies them as upper tier? Because they have a certain reputation about their food that stands up above just like a general chain. Like if I just wanted a quick burger, I'd maybe go to McDonald's or whatever, but like in and out is kind of a, a different level, at least here regionally in California. And then everyone has their kind of upper level. And then you have dine-in, the, the bottom tier dine-in, which is like, uh, you know, Waffle House, Denny's, like whatever. And then oh, you yeah. have, then you two have two of my favorites, right? Then you have middle tier dining. So like the, you know, the chains, like maybe like Olive Garden or whatever. And then you have like upper tier. These are all just, just how I envision in my head. So in this space, I feel like you should put, I feel like anybody who joins our news newsletter, uh, list should get your tiered, uh, list, Jeff. Tiered list. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be willing to do that. I could talk for hours. Maybe I'll jump on Facebook Live if anyone wants to talk burgers and restaurants. Because, <laughs> but so so this conversation to me falls in that upper tier fast food, like In and Out, um, uh, Five Guys, Whataburger, all that kind of stuff. And I've thought a lot about this. Now I will preface this by those of you listening: I haven't had all the regional places yet, but I think In and Out is overrated because when in conversation with these regional burger places, I think the king. The king is Shake Shack. It is so much better 
than any other burger in the other one. And I like In-N-Out too. I'm with you, Rajiv. I love In-N-Out. I'll definitely go for an In-N-Out burger. But Shake Shack, the smash burger, the soft potato bun, the melted cheese, it is simple, it is perfect, and it is wonderful. And Five Guys is trash. They don't season their meat. They don't season their meat. It tastes like bland garbage. I'm saying that right now. Five Guys is trash. I would rather have a McDonald's cheeseburger than Five Guys. That is No, Five Guys is is okay. I'd say Five Guys, other than your review, Jeff, is appropriately rated. But, yeah. That was harsh. I'm I'm there. When you know, you know. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Five Guys fries are superior. They are. I like their fries. Oh, man. But they're burgers. Bonnie, what about you? What do you think? Um, I I don't eat burgers. So it's a little, I mean, when I go to In-N-Out, I get a grilled cheese. But I really like the fries at In-N-Out. So I would say it's like appropriately rated. I, I'm, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, actually. I can tell there are big feelings, though. Um, big feelings. From some this. of my co-host friends. <laughs> I, I would agree that I feel like In-N-Out is overrated. Um, their French fries are actually... I, I can only eat them if they're like... If they put them in the fryer for a little longer. Because I hate how like flimsy they are. Um, so yeah, I'd go with... I'd go with under... Or overrated also. So there you go. Three Californians underrating In-N-Out. <laughs> and one appropriately rating it. This is... We might get some hate from our own people That's on this right. one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And the Bible verses kill me. Like that, honestly, that, the that Bible was, I thought somebody might ask about the Bible verses. I was like, you don't oh, like those yeah. verses on your cup. And I, I'm not a native Californian, unlike the three of you. You guys are like for real native. I've lived here since '94, so over over half my life at this point. But uh, yeah, I was born two blocks from the original In and Out. That was just a drive-through. Uh, now I've never been to Shake Shack. Where's the closest one? There's Sacramento. one downtown Sac. It's amazing, dude. You got to try it. I think there's it. one in Roseville now also. Actually. In the in the mall, okay. but it, All right, it's Bonnie, sketchy. Let's go. I'm still eating burgers. I haven't <laughs> I just I just get grilled cheese. That's fine. Can you can get a grilled cows. cheese. It's lunchtime right now. Let's go. I, I was, was just, just thinking, thinking that. that. Yeah. I have to, yeah. <laughs> their frozen custard's really good too, but their burger. I I I don't think it's I think it's hard to match their burger. Now, I, I just want to let everyone know. I'm excluding local like local places. Like Sure, sure. Of course. This, this is this is chain regional, all that kind of stuff. That's a whole different tier system that would require a very complicated episode. And this is not a food podcast. Look, we might this actually a- <laughs> get legitimate hate mail. Like we, we, we get the crazy emails, you know, but we might actually get some legitimate hate mail for dissing on in and out right now. Right. We've said some like heretical things to some people and we don't get much hate mail. The most hate mail I've gotten is on divine cinema. When I talk about like media stuff, people, people have opinions about their, you know, frivolous things I, I while we're talking about regional stuff a quick shout out to our people in the south we did mention waffle house but a fast food place that i love is zaxby's they do chicken and i mean they're not popeyes but as far as like fast food chicken fingers and stuff uh i wish they would open one out this way and those who are listening who might be out of the country we would love to know what are the restaurants your the, yeah. the in and out restaurants in in your neck of the woods yeah what is what is uh underrated and overrated near you and and to our australian and new zealand people i've heard that their kangaroo burgers are a thing is that for real i have had or- kangaroo in perth australia and it Ooh. was delicious oh. yes it sure was yeah i'm not sure how i feel about that definitely yeah. veggie burger if i was in australia <laughs> So, that was only um, the first one, right? Yeah. Who's going next? How about you, Jeff? All right. Um, I'm going to put out there binge watching. So the act of watching an entire season of a particular TV show. is underrated. I love the ability to just watch for hours on end if I want to. Now, is that the definition of binge watching to actually watch the whole season? Yes. 
or at least like a batch of episodes. Like you're you're yeah, binge like watching, three but or I would, four. But I would say like close to a whole season. Like a binge watching is like you just you get through it. I thought it was like when Netflix asks you if you're still watching. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you like, get to you that know, button, then you've been you're watched. sitting there. Yeah, yeah okay, you've been so been watching. I, I've done that once or twice. Well, it's it's not happy to wait a week, right? I don't know. I'm. I'm torn on this. I'm I'm kind of ambivalent, so I'll say it's appropriately ra- rated. Like if you're binge watching all the time, get help. You know, <laughs> no shame, you, listeners. No and, shame. <laughs> and, and, and and if you've never been watched, give it a try. Well, I one of the things I like to do is like I'll wait a few weeks. Like David makes Man has just started back up on own, and I loved the first season. Um. And so now I'm we're into the second season and so I've waited 4 weeks so that I can watch you know four episodes at a time. I really like doing that. I I think it's overrated. I think it's overrated mainly because I like I I always love that idea of watching simultaneously with others. Like The Handmaid's Tale, you know, you can binge watch, oh, binge watch. I guess, because you could wait and binge watch. But I like, for me, it's like, when is it on? Well, it's on on Tuesday when it the first episode drops. And that's just when I watch it. Like, I, I set my my time to watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's overrated. I'm with you, Bonnie. I'm going to say overrated as well. Like, there are certain things I like to binge. But, it, and, and you would ask me two years ago, I would have been like, no, it's totally underrated. It's the best thing in the world. But... When they dropped Mandalorian on Disney Plus and they just did one a week, at first I was like, what are they doing? But, and this is going to sound silly, but it was the, I watched the episode and they had, you know, Baby Yoda or Grogu at the end and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, my girl's got to watch this. So we watched the first episode together. And then we found this YouTube channel that gives like Easter eggs and backstory for all the other stuff. And then we watched that video. And now for every Disney Plus show, Marvel and Star Wars, we watch episode, we then go immediately to YouTube, and then we watch the the Easter egg video, and then we talk about it, like, all week, like, theories on what's going to happen, and it has been, like, some of the funnest, most, like, enriching, like, hangout with my kids ever, because we just nerd out on this all week, and we anticipate what's going to happen next, and we speculate, and I was like, you know, I like this. Certain things, you know, like, uh, really, I really like the show Ted Lasso. I'll binge that. It drops. It's a half hour fun show. Like I'll that I'll binge. But stuff where you just like you want to open the mystery box a little bit and and watch and commune and talk with others. I prefer to to watch it week to week. I love it. I I would like to um, before we leave this suggest that Bonnie go to Divine Cinema and I'd love to hear her take on Handmaiden's Tale. Like uh, like I would love to hear your sort of thoughts about the show because I think it's a horrifyingly great show. Yeah, me too. And uh, I I never thought to ask you your thoughts on the show, and I think it would be great to hear from you about that, honestly. that that That's an episode, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. No, I want to like, hear. We, we, sh- we should do a roundtable on that. Yeah. yeah. Cinema, not television. We'd have to do a, a spinoff, or we can do a Facebook Live special we, event. We we can just do an Arenacast special. Don't colonize my show, guys. Come on. We can do whatever. We <laughs> no, no, we're, we're not colonizing. We're exporting. <laughs> what well, did you answer, Rajiv? Um, you said appropriately. He said appropriately rated. rated. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's. Yeah. Everybody's okay. Your turn, then, Rajiv. Okay. Um. So th- this one's hard and maybe a little unfair because there's so many varieties. And I'll give you an example. So it's this isn't it, but uh, like brisket. So I'm a big fan of brisket. The best I've ever had, literally. He's one of my closest friends. He's a co-host on the show. But Jeff Manildi makes the best brisket I've ever had in my life. Um, so I'm not going to ask that one because... You know, I have a personal connection here, or there's a personal connection. So the thing is, uh, under or overrated is pulled pork. Well, uh, before I answer, I just want to correct you a little bit. Tri-tip and brisket 
Oh, different. I'm sorry. Try tip. Right. Try tip. I don't want to make the barbecue people mad and, you know, coming into the show. And sorry. All that yep. kind of stuff. Because brisket's a whole other thing. I'm, I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like Just starving here. Through it. Yeah. It's, it's tri-tip. My bad, Jeff. That's okay. It's regional. No, most people don't even know the tri-tip stuff. So, yeah. yeah it's, I thank you. Say appropriately, the, appropriately rated. Pulled That's pork. Hmm. Pulled pork. Okay. I've never had it. So I can't really comment on it. Okay, go go from just the aesthetic, the look, and the smell. Overrated, fully overrated. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I'm going to have to say underrated. I'm just going to say like meat in general is underrated in terms of like. Now, now hear me out. I know that we're going to, you know, people are, might be mad environmentally. <laughs> I understand that. It doesn't mean when I say meat is underrated. Uh, in terms of like, we should just have more of it. I think we should have less meat, obviously. I think that's important for the environment and stuff like that. But I think that's the very reason that it's underrated is I think that people settle for cheap stuff. And because they don't treat it with the the sacredness it deserves, you have it too often and you don't appreciate and savor the moments that are good and you settle for something that's less than. Um, so pulled pork, done right. It's always going to be underrated because it's just going to the, the right amount of char. I mean, you know, little crispy bits, the yeah, various just, sauces you can put on it. it. Yep. It goes with everything. Yeah. Right. Um, I, a, a little aside here, cause I'm like feeling an internal <laughs> conflict cause I struggle with my, my meat eating from, you know, sometimes it's ethical, sometimes it's environmental and, you know, part of, part of my upbringing was we ate meat in our home because we're Christian. And in India, you know, meat eating is a way Christians identify themselves and differentiate themselves from Hindu, particularly the Brahmanic uh, strands, because that's where the whole caste thing is an issue. So as low caste people who are Christian, we're like, give me that burger. If I could wave my magic wand and be like a vegan, I probably would be. It's just a struggle. Hmm. No. No, if I'm going to take that magic wand, I'm going to make everyone eat meat in moderation so that none of us have to be vegan. <laughs> or like there's magic meat. You don't have to kill anything. Right. I'm fine with printed meat, 3D printed meat. If they figure that oh, out, totally. I'm down with that. Like I'm 100% down with it. It's all about the method in which you cook it. So if you, you can, you can take a bad piece of meat and make it wonderful. It's just the care. Talk about desacralizing, right? Printed yeah. meat. I mean that that's most soul food, right? Is is that cast off stuff that's made right? Right. I mean the whole the whole advent of chicken wings. Like no one did chicken wings, but now it is. Well, I guess there's a shortage now, but still, like it's all about the cooking. It's about the method. How to use all that stuff. Yeah. Now I'm super hungry. <laughs> what do you think, Casey? Underrated, overrated for pulled pork? I said uh, rated as is. It's it's fine as it is. <laughs> I will say, so, uh, Jose and I just got back from vacation and we were down in, uh, Palm Springs, which is my favorite place to rest. And we had the best burgers we've ever had down there at this place called the Heyday. Uh, but we also went to this other restaurant that I cannot remember the name of that had these pulled pork mac and cheese egg rolls. And that sounds so fat and it was so delicious and so if I could have pulled pork that way for forever, then it's like totally underrated because it was amazing. But yeah, there you go. Mac and cheese egg rolls. See, that sounds delicious. But that, that's the beauty of pulled pork, man. That's right. Just put it in there with some mac and cheese. Put Ooh. it in stuff. Yeah. Well, if we ever do an ethics series, I think we should definitely talk about the ethics of eating meat, you know, and um, I would love to explore that with you all. So ready for mine? I'm taking yes. it's, it's t completely away from food and very theoretical. All right. Post-pandemic learning. Post-pandemic learning. Define that. So we hear a lot that, you know, we've been through this whole thing together and that there's all these possibilities now that are available to us because of what we've been through. There's, there's things we've learned. There's, there's knowledge and wisdom that we've gained 
as having lived through the pandemic? Is that overrated or underrated? I mean, we're talking about the anticipation because we haven't experienced it yet, right? I, right. I'm talking about the, the um, well, have we experienced learning as a result of the pandemic? We're starting to maybe a little bit. So I'm talking about that, 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 whatever that is, whatever that will be. Is that underrated or overrated? And I know, yeah. like I said, it's highly abstract and theoretical, but just for the co- sake of conversation. I think we're experiencing it, though. Like, I just had a conversation with uh, my wife, and we were talking about how, like, insurance companies, because the um, tele- televisits for medical visits are ending, that insurance companies are immediately cutting that off. Like, we need to learn one lesson from that. And now, like, people who've had to travel to multiple states because of whatever condition that they have have to go back to doing that. So, like, kids can't be in one place because they've got to travel from hospital to hospital, from state to state, that we're doing teleconferencing. Now got to go back to that kind of life. Um, and, you know, what we've learned about office space and workspace and how flexible and fluid that is and all this stuff. I think we're learning it right now. I just think we're immediately unlearning it. Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I All of what has Jeff has said, I think that the learning is underrated, but the hype of it is overrated. And I think that we are my biggest concerns. I mean, you can go back to some of our episodes during quarantine where I've said my biggest concern is that we would just, when we get back into things, act like it never happened. Humans are what they are. We love our routines. We love those, the ways in which we feel stuck. We sort of want to go back to those sorts of things. I hope some of us will be able to keep to our clear boundaries about what quarantine has given us, like a 40 or less hour work week, like more connection to our family and friends. If there's anything we should have learned, I think it's how much we need each other. We we wanted to record in person this morning, but I'm not, I'm feeling under the weather. And so I felt like it was my duty, because I love all of you, to not show up sick, which is something before the quarantine, before quarantine, I would have done. I'll just muscle through it. So there's like a, a respect for one another, a noticing of each other, um, a relying on each other that I think that we've gained that we should hold on to. That's what I would say. So I think the potential for learning in relation to this pandemic can, can never be overrated because it's really a, one of the richest opportunities that we've had as a human species. But I'm with Jeff. I think we're going to it up you know we're, we're so habituated and addicted to certain destructive behaviors and patterns that you know we saw the freaking sky clear up and waterways return life and we're already at the same travel levels we were before the pandemic and we're still in the pandemic so yeah i'm i'm worried i i think we have some dark days ahead of us uh, I have hope, but I do feel like there are aspects of our society that are coming part of the seams. Yeah, I, I'm with all of you, too. I think it's it's underrated. I mean, I hear people talking about revenge travel, <laughs> which is like an interesting term. It's like revenge against whom, you know, against against the planet, against the world, against the virus. Like, what, what does that even mean? Um, but yet something has happened to us. And I think what I think is interesting about it is the way that this sort of connects to um, transition. Those of us who have migrated out of evangelical fundamentalist worlds, in a sense, the, this, this very real physical pandemic is in some ways connected to that experience of leaving and going into something new. And can you get there? Can you get into the new thing? That's, that's part of what we're, we're working out together as a world community. So with that, not that not that we always end with the the big laughs. We start with in and out and we end with the conversation on the pandemic. That will do us for, do it for us this week. If you enjoy Irenicast and would like to join the work we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at irenicast.com slash PayPal. We are committed to keeping the show free for listeners, but there are always costs involved and your financial support helps out with that a lot. 
That's irenacast.com slash PayPal. Irenacast is nonprofit, so your donations are tax deductible. And for more information on ways to partner with the show, please go to irenacast.com slash support. Some of those ways include our Amazon affiliate link and, of course, our merch. You can support the show, however, by simply just making sure you've subscribed or followed the show on whatever platform you use to listen. And if the platform allows it, leave a rating and or review. So for this week, I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. And I'm Jeff. Thanks for joining the conversation. 